Let us turn our attention now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, as we continue our way through this Gospel. Uh, It's a long Gospel, long chapters, Uh, but here we are, Luke chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 25 through 35 this morning together. Luke chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. These are the words penned by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your word this morning, we ask for help. These are weighty words. And yet you have given them to us to read, to hear, to contemplate, and by grace to commit ourselves to. So Lord, we need your help. We need your help in the hearing of them and in the doing of them. So would you meet us here today by your spirit and give us eyes to see and yes, ears to hear. And change us by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I often wonder what Jesus thinks of our Christianity. Specifically, the American type of Christianity. Was pastor and author David Platt who wrote the following words with this in view. He wrote, we are giving into the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationships so that he receives all our affection. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe upon our comforts because after all, he loves us just the way we are. 
A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. When you compare that approach to Christianity, to the words that we have from Jesus, we have two very different realities. In some ways, in many ways, we could, you could say this maybe wherever you live, but we live in America, that American Christianity has often attempted to redefine Christianity or reshape it or refashion it in some way. But the Christianity that we find in the Bible is much different. It's not a game. It's not a hobby. It's a call for your life to be totally transformed. The call to faith, the call to follow Jesus is a call to a discipleship that is total. When you read this passage, it's problematic. Not because of what it says on its own. It's problematic because it it confronts us It it confronts our comfort, it confronts our greed, it confronts our complacency, it confronts our version of Christianity with a tame Jesus. It's problematic because it pushes in on areas of our life that we are often unwilling to consider and contemplate. It's problematic because we are sinful. What we have here in Luke 14, 25 through 35, is a calling. It is a snapshot. It is an overview. It is a description of what biblical Christianity is about. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so this is a call for us. This passage is a call for us to give heed to what it means to be a disciple. When Jesus calls us to follow him, what is he calling us to? As we walk through this text, we're going to see several things. Several things that Jesus calls us to, several things that discipleship requires of us. Every single one of us. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus or if you're considering being a follower of Jesus, you need to hear these words because these are not just for a select group of Christians. This is Christianity. So what is it that Jesus requires of us as a disciple? Number one, he's calling us here to understand the claim of discipleship. Verses 25 through 27, we see that great crowds accompanied, had been accompanying Jesus. 
And previously, in our, in our previous passages that we've been considering over the past few weeks, Jesus has, has been addressing, in particular, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And now, as great crowds begin to follow him, or continue to follow him, and more and more people are coming along, he turns now and begins to address the crowds once more. He, he wants them to understand what following him requires. Brothers and sisters, when you read verse 26 and verse 27, these are some of the most hard-hitting words in the New Testament. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Sit in that for a moment. What we often want to do and what oftentimes I think we have done is we want to run very quickly to explain what hate doesn't mean. Let's clean this up. Let's clarify what Jesus really means here. And we're going to do that. Because you hear that and you're like, that's in conflict with some other things I know that are in the Bible. Friends, Jesus is using this language here to, to elevate the priority that he must have in our lives. I mean, think about this message. It's, it's, this is not a message you hear today. You, you do not hit, typically hear people say things, hey, Say things like this, hey, you should follow Jesus, but if you do, you're going to need to hate your family and yourself. Was that the message you responded to as a Christian, if you're a Christian? So what in the world is Jesus saying? Is he really calling us to hatred, to despise people we're called to love? In the context, keep in mind what we saw last week, a parable that Jesus gave regarding a great banquet, and many were invited. And you remember what happened? Of those who were invited, guess what? They began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field, another, I've bought an ox, another, I've recently gotten married, Excuse after excuse after excuse, obstacle after obstacle. And so Jesus is now speaking to the crowds, I think, maybe with those excuses, maybe in mind, clarifying. When you come to him, when you come through that narrow door and you enter this great banquet that he has invited you to, you need to understand what it cost you. few things to keep in mind when Jesus spoke these words. He's speaking into a culture, 
a Jewish culture, a, a culture that would have highly valued family. Family would have been very foundational in this culture. As a Jew, that's what you had, especially as a Jewish people living under Roman oppression. Your family mattered much. It was the core of who you were. It was your identity. And in Jesus' day, when someone made a commitment to follow him, it often meant that a response to follow Jesus, to turn from what you knew, and now to follow Jesus meant being alienated from your family. You weren't going to be popular at home or in the neighborhood or in the community. Being a follower of Jesus, even under Roman rule, would potentially put pressure on your family. So from a practical point of view, a commitment to Jesus would often mean tension at the very least or abandonment of family. And the comfort that came with all of that. Now we know Jesus isn't calling us to a, an action of despising people, hating, this inward hatred towards people we've actually been called to love. This is not a carnal hatred to despise them. He would not call us to exercise hatred to those he's also commanded us to love and to honor. He's even called us to love our enemies. So again, what is he saying? He is saying through this hard-hitting language used intentionally that he, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to become a Christian, if you're going to be a disciple, he must be your priority, period. Following Jesus is no casual matter. The call to follow Jesus requires a response, a response of the will to acknowledge your sin and to repent of your sin and to put your faith and hope in Jesus. But that call to respond does not stop with that response. It doesn't stop with that moment of decision where you go from death to life, from darkness to light. Being a disciple means you have a newfound allegiance. Jesus becomes the driving priority of your life, and yes, even more so than your family. J.C. Ryle wrote, Experience shows us both in, in the church, at home, and in the mission field that the greatest foes to a man's soul are sometimes those of his own house. It sometimes happens that the great hindrance in the way of an awkward conscience is the opposition of relatives and family and friends. Ungodly fathers cannot bear to see their sons taking up new views of religion. 
Worldly mothers are vexed to see their daughters unwilling to enter into the gaieties of the world. A collision of opinion takes place frequently as soon as grace enters into a family. And then comes the time when the true Christian must remember the spirit of our Lord's words in this passage. He must be willing to offend his family rather than to offend Christ. In the first century, to follow Jesus meant many sacrifices. You think about that culture and think about you. Think about your background, think about your context. We all come from different backgrounds and different contexts. Not all of them are the same. In some ways, especially here in the West, depending on your family background, depending on where you grew up, it can be easier to follow Jesus than it was in a day that meant immediate alienation. At least for many of you, following Jesus didn't mean you were going to have to make a decision between your family and Jesus. In fact, for many of you, it was through your family that you came to understand the gospel and what it meant to follow Jesus. And praise God for that. Praise God for homes and families that God has raised up to give grace to and and that you were cultivated in an environment where you, at an early age, came to understand the truth of who God is and what he's given us in Christ. Praise God for that. It's a gift of God's grace to you. But for some, even some in this room, some watching, that hasn't been the case. For some of you, your faith has caused conflict, friction, difficulty, tension, awkwardness. For some of you, it did mean a decision between Jesus and family comforts. It's also the experience of many of our brothers and sisters from Muslim and Hindu and other religious contexts. Following Jesus means losing literally everything you've ever known. But for many, particularly in our culture, that's not often the case, though it is for some. So this teaching of Jesus, if you, are, if you have been raised in a Christian context and culture and home, praise God for that, don't think that that's a bad thing, it's a glorious thing. But if you've been raised in that kind of context, these words, you hear them, and, and I think for, for those of us born in, and raised in those kinds of environments, these are harder words to get. Because we've not felt that alienation. We've not felt that tension from time to time when it meant Jesus or them. And so this language may sound extreme. But friends, following Jesus in the eyes of this world is extreme. I think oftentimes we we struggle to hear the, 
the weight of words like this because we've been, there's, a, there's many different reasons. But I think another reason is that the church in America has often helped perpetuate the problem of a casual, consumer-minded Christianity. Often through its message and marketing, where following Jesus doesn't sound like a sacrifice at all. What many refer to as decisionism, I think has been problematic for the church. A watered-down gospel that, that simply calls people to make a decision for Jesus or ask Jesus into your heart, all of which I think are well-intended, but they miss the biblical mark of what Jesus calls us to. What we find in the Bible are commands like repent and believe. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Or passages like this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so we build churches filled with casual Christianity. Treating the church like a buffet of goods and services instead of seeing it as a community of self-denying followers of Jesus who are willing to accept any hardship for following Christ, no matter what that means in their family or in the culture around them. Listen, too many people Maybe even some of us in this room, too many people want Jesus on our terms, not Jesus on his terms. And that's uncomfortable. That, that hits hard, it hits close to home. Listen, following Jesus is not simply getting your ticket punched for heaven, it's a call to embrace, listen, a life of devoted commitment to serving and honoring him in all that you are and all that you do. Even if that means enduring suffering. He says in verse 27, Who does, whoever does not bear his own cross and cannot be my disciple. Friends, this is a call to join Jesus in suffering. We each have a cross to bear and we must choose to pick it up and carry that cross daily. That cross includes our dying, our self-denial, and joining Jesus and advancing his kingdom in this world. And do you think the world is happy about that? No. There's nothing casual about following Christ. Following Jesus means that we give him our primary allegiance. Our culture is increasing, increasingly hostile towards the faith. We, we know that. We see it. It's obvious. So if you think that following Jesus in our day and time is maybe going to get easier one day, think again. You think it was easy to follow Jesus under Roman oppression? In many ways, we've got it a whole lot better off than they did.
This calling Jesus gives us is a calling to love him more than anyone else. So that your allegiance to him and your love for him would be so primary in your life that it would seem as if that you hate your family and friends and brothers and sisters and even yourself. Understand the claim of discipleship. Number two, that in mind, we need to calculate the cost of discipleship. Jesus goes on. In verses 28 through 33, he gives two illustrations. The first in verses 28 through 30 of a man who was seeking to build a tower. And Jesus points out that that endeavor would have been expensive. And so he does his research to make sure that he can build the tower, that he can afford to build it. Otherwise, he would be the laughingstock of the community with a half-built tower. The second illustration pictures a king assessing the military strength that he has in preparation for war. After all, what king would go to war knowing he's outnumbered? And if he doesn't have the ability to win, then then he will need to send a delegation for peace. And so what you see in both of these illustrations are examples of individuals using sober judgment to consider a situation before heading into it. And Jesus is saying the same thing for would-be disciples. You need to know what you're signing up for. You need to know that the big party we talked about last week The big party that that Jesus is calling us to, this great banquet, this, this glorious feast, this invitation that's inviting people to come, you need to understand that the road to get there will be difficult. It will be marked with hardship, sacrifice, suffering. And you need to be willing to walk that road no matter what it may cost you in this life. So you stand back and you think, okay, he's, he's made the point. We need to count the cost. We need to understand what we're getting into. So that in mind, just think about some of these questions. Are, are, are you willing to deny yourself, your desires, your ambitions, the, the things that, that are on your, the forefront of your mind? Are you willing to deny yourself to follow Jesus? Are you willing to endure hardship and suffering to follow Jesus? Are you willing to show that Jesus is your priority, even if it means awkward moments with family? And there are are some Christian families where this gets awkward because mom and dad or so-and-so may think that my kid, I've got plans for them, but then they sign up to go to the mission field. What in the world is that? Are you willing to to show that even in a Christian home or a non-Christian home that Jesus is your priority even if it means tension and conflict? Are you willing to stand on the truth of God's word even if it means that in in our day and time that you would be canceled by the culture? Are you willing to possibly lose friendships over Jesus? 
Are you willing to give up certain relationships over Jesus? Are you willing to change the course of your life? Are you willing to maybe give up business endeavors in order to follow Jesus? Friends, are you willing to live out the kingdom ethic even when it clashes with the world's ever-evolving ethic? And by the way, it's following Jesus is not merely a call to give up things. There's so much you gain. The call to follow Jesus is a call to give away your life. Are you willing to take on the personal sacrifice and cost required of you in order to follow Jesus? You think about, think about this. Why is Jesus putting it out there like this? Why, why is he saying it this way? I mean, if you read this, it sounds like that maybe he really doesn't want people to follow him. All right, this is not a, um, a feel-good kind of message, is it, on the surface? I mean, is he saying this because he really doesn't want us to follow him? Just trying to trim out the numbers as most, best he can? Well, that's not true at all. All he's saying is that, that he has no room, there's no space for light-hearted Christianity in the kingdom of God. There's no room for casual Christianity. To be a nominal church-going Christian is easy and cheap work. Lots of unbelievers do that every week. They attend church. But to be a true follower of Jesus is not cheap. It's costly. So maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching and, and you, you've been contemplating the claims of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian and you've been thinking through what Jesus is saying and, and you've been thinking about Christianity. You've been thinking about what it means to be a follower Know, friend, that if that is you, if that is what you've been thinking through, know that Jesus is in fact calling people to follow him. He's inviting people just like you to a great banquet. He's inviting people to follow him, to be transformed, to have their sins forgiven, and to be fit for heaven. He's calling people. But understand that when he calls you, he calls you to abandon yourself where he becomes primary in all that you are and do. Church, I think often this is absent in the message we preach. Often in an urgent desire to see people follow Jesus, we skip quickly through those terms and conditions and say, sign here. Forget about all the fine print. Just sign here. Say this prayer. Do this. Do that. But the terms and conditions are clear. If you're going to follow Jesus, it means giving up your life as it is to be his possession where he becomes your priority. This is a call 
for us to be clear as a church on what entering the narrow door requires of people. Think about that. Think about the kind of force this this would mean, the, the kind of force the church of Jesus Christ could be in this world and will be in this world when you have men, women, and children who count the cost of following Jesus and are gathered together in local communities of local churches, living out their lives on truths like this. In verse 33, Jesus draws it all together. You see it there with the language, so therefore, in light of all of these things, my command and my illustrations of the command, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. Again, in short, nothing must matter more than Jesus. Not family, not friends, not yourself, not your possessions, nothing. Friends, I realize this, this can be a challenge. You, you hear that, verse 33, after verse 26. Any of you who will not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That can be a challenge in our context, in a consumeristic, materialistic, success-driven culture. Friends, our priorities often reflects how serious we've taken this call to discipleship. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? What does it cost you? And that will show up in your life. It will show up. It will become evident what following Jesus has cost you. It will be evident in your pursuits of success and wealth. It will be evident in how much of a priority the body of Christ is. The spiritual disciplines are. It will be evident in your budget, in your spending. It will be evident in relationships. It will be evident everywhere. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? See, coming to Christ is, on the one hand, free. It's a gift of God's grace. God has given us Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, we have all that we need for salvation. In him is the embodiment of perfection. He came, he lived a life as a man. He obeyed the law perfectly, never sinned. And yet he died on a cross for sinners, bearing the judgment and weight of our sin so that we could be forgiven and cleansed. He was raised from the dead three days later. Then to ascend to the Father's right hand, promising to come again. It was all of that, all of that perfect work that Jesus accomplished, his active obedience and his death on a cross and his resurrection that accomplished everything you and I need to follow him. Jesus is not saying you can't be saved until you do all these things as if it's by works. 
He's saying, when you come to me by grace and you receive this gift of salvation, which is free, cost him, but it's free to you, know that in turn it will actually cost you the way that you live out your life. It will cost you because he becomes the priority. Which leads me to point number three. We're called to persevere in the calling of discipleship. Verses 34 and 35. In verse 34, Jesus draws an inference from what he's just said. Some translations you have that there, the, the word so or therefore could be present, which indicates it's connected to what he's just said. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus here speaks of salt. But what in the world does that have to do with what he just said? Well, in Syria, Palestine, we know salt functioned many purposes. It functioned as seasoning, fertilizer, a preservative. And his point here is that while salt was salty, it had a valuable function. Whatever you were using it for, as long as it contained its saltiness, it was useful. But when it loses its saltiness, when it loses its, its, its effect, it in fact loses its function and purpose and becomes worthless. And so Jesus is making a direct application here of a disciple of losing his or her effectiveness. If Jesus, he's saying, is not primary, if you're not counting the cost and giving yourself to following him in this way, then in essence you become worthless. To fail to align yourself with Jesus as him being the primary foundation of your life and to seek some casual connection to Jesus is tragic. It's a tragic waste. So what he's saying. He's warning. He's warning us against this danger and this tendency to want to follow him. But follow him on our terms when it's convenient, when it's easy, when it's not costly. And he says, don't be like useless salt. When you lose me as your priority, when you lose Jesus as the foundation of all that you are as your identity, when you fail to pursue him above all else, you lose your usefulness. He's telling the crowds, he's telling us, don't be useless. Understand the claim of discipleship. Understand what it cost you and persevere in that calling. Failure to pursue and persevere in our discipleship can indicate a couple of things. It can indicate that faith was not truly present to begin with, even though we thought it was. Or it can be an indication of spiritual rebellion of some type. And he's simply warning us here to, to be careful that you're counting the cost 
He's warning, I believe, against the danger of easy believism and nominalism. So many people make verbal commitments to Jesus and never, nothing more. (laughs) Just believe in Jesus. No sacrifice, no commitment, no repentance, no perseverance, no cross. Just show up to church once a week, or better yet, during the pandemic, kick back in your recliner and watch. An hour and a half a week and you're good. Don't don't think that showing up here on a Sunday morning like you are, or watching with us as you are, to think that you've checked that Christian box as if you've done God a favor today. That's not biblical Christianity. By the way, I'm thrilled you're here. I'm thrilled you're watching. But don't think that this is the extent of our discipleship. This is but a small flicker of what Christ has called us to. Friends, I say that. I say that because so many people think that. They think that they've done the Sunday morning thing. Off to the rest of my week. No, as a follower of Jesus, it's Jesus' week. Your life is his life. Your priorities are his priorities. Your agenda is his agenda. Your affections are his affections. Your purposes are his purposes. Your delights are his delights. Your hopes are bought by him. Your confidence is what he's given you. The invitation he's given you is a call to enjoy him. Friends, when we think through this, you could be tempted to think, well, this sounds miserable. I gotta give up everything so that I can be enslaved to someone else? Yes, but with that comes a joy and a peace and a comfort and a hope that you'll never find anywhere else. Friends, the call of Jesus, this is the call to sacrifice. There is no place at the banquet table for idol-worshiping, hypocritical, half-hearted, excuse-ridden disciples who are unwilling to die to self and follow Jesus. So friends, if we're going to be salt-like, we must persevere in all that Christ has called us to be. And we can't allow our salt to become contaminated. It's interesting from the salt, which is found in various places in the Middle East, and one of those places is the Dead Sea. It's interesting that salt from the Dead Sea was rarely useful because it was contaminated. And so many other things in it. So Jesus is simply saying that our salt needs to be free from contamination. It needs to be useful. Not only do we need to calculate the cost of following Jesus, we need to examine our lives regularly to make sure we're persevering in this calling. 
And so much in this world can contaminate us. So much. We need to be careful what we're giving ourselves to. Friends, that's a good question to think. What, what may be present in your life that could be contaminating your discipleship? Causing you not to count the cost, causing you to be blinded by truths like this, which are clear. Friends, Jesus makes a radical claim on our lives. As a believer, you've been called to lose your life that you may gain it. To deny yourself, to give yourself for the glory of Jesus. Friends, that goes against most of what we hear, doesn't it? That call to lose our life, to deny ourselves, to give ourselves for the glory of another goes against everything we're told. We're told believe in yourself, affirm yourself, do what makes you happy. And the gospel, though, is a call to an abandonment of you to find joy in one who can sustain your joy for eternity. Jesus didn't come merely to give you eternal life. He came to give you abundant life, joyful life, a glorious life, even amidst the suffering and the hardships of this life. So while this calling may seem hard, while it is costly, it is absolutely worth it. Even when sin and the ugliness of this world has you so discouraged, Jesus reminds us that what he has for you is infinitely better than anything you can come up with for yourself or what this world has to offer. Now, this calling is a calling to lose your life, but when you lose your life, you find something far greater than you'll ever fathom. There's no greater joy or blessing in all the world than knowing Christ and being a disciple. But friends, count the cost carefully. Christianity is not a game. It's not some gig you have on the side. Following Jesus is costly. But it will never, ever leave you wanting for something more. Let's pray. Lord, these words are weighty, perhaps when we hear them they're hard to hear. And there are various reasons in our lives that that may be the case. So Lord, would you search our hearts this morning and would you reveal to us by your spirit why they may be hard? Father, would you help us see ways that maybe we're rebelling against you and we're not counting the cost Would you help us to see, Lord, ways that we are called to count the cost and are not? Lord, maybe there are things that we're too accustomed to or too comfortable with or too connected to 
And these things begin to be reveal themselves as, as idols in our lives because we have a hard time letting go in order to give ourselves entirely to you. Father, would you convict us and would you show us and would you help us? For there's not a person here, not a person watching that has fully counted the cost. So Father, would you help us to understand what you're calling us to. Renew in our hearts this morning those of us who have been following you for so long that may be finding just complacency and, and it just maybe we're calloused, maybe we're, as the song said earlier, maybe our love has grown cold. God, would you expose that in us that we may be disciples who glorify you Father, would you work in the hearts of unbelievers who may hear this today and maybe they're put off. Father, would you help them to realize that this is a call to treasure you and to worship you above all others. That is the life of the Christian. And there is so much joy, Lord. Would you help us to realize as we hear these weighty words that on the other end of that is so much joy and blessing and good for us. So, Lord, would you work in us today all that we need? Would you help us to be your disciples even when it's hard? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.